1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Well, is it true that if you shoot a 243 at a deer, the bullet will be moving so quickly that it will cauterize the wound and the deer will get away? We're going to find out on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining me. A really unusual question today from one of our patrons on Patreon. This is Zach. And he said, hey, Ron, I've heard a rumor about the 243 Winchester, and I wanted to know if it's true. A couple of older friends of mine have said that when deer hunting with the 243, that it is possible for the bullet to actually cauterize a deer on the way through because it shoots too fast. And that, if you don't hit a perfect shot, you will more than likely lose that deer. Uh, This sounds kind of suspicious to me, and I'm wondering if there is any truth to it. Can you confirm or deny this? Kind regards, Zach. Hey, Zach, that is a wild one. We hunters come up with some pretty wild theories. Now, I've shot a lot of deer with the 243 Winchester without cauterizing their wounds enough to let them escape. Heck, the 243 Winchester is actually one of our slower 24 calibers. Um, And they're a lot slower than most of our 22s, 25s, 26s, 27s, 28s, and 30 calibers. And I've killed deer with all of them. That said, bullets are awfully surprisingly hot when they land on target. I most often read that their surface temperature has been measured at around 500 degrees Fahrenheit, but I've heard as low as 100 degrees centigrade to as high as 800 degrees centigrade, and that's almost 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, that should be hot enough to cauterize, I think. But when that bullet lands, there's hair, hide, blood, and other body fluids that are likely to cool it quickly. It's a pretty small projectile, and I think it would cool off fairly quickly that way. I've studied a lot of wound channels, and I have never noticed any having been cauterized. So I think that's a myth we can put to rest. The 243 Winchester, really, the 6 millimeter Remington is about 100 feet per second faster. Do they say that about it? And uh, 240 Weatherby, the, 20, the 257 Weatherby Magnum, that's going a lot faster. Just all kinds of them. Yeah, that's another one of those myths that kind of grows up over things that people don't quite understand, but they hypothesize and think, yeah, this makes sense. Maybe that's what's happening. You repeat it often enough, people start to believe it. All right, here's something from the Outdoor Empire. Oh, this is our friend Chase. 
Um, we did that series of videos with Chase on the 308 Winchester week. He brought his rifles over and we tested them all. And he's writing us. He says, I tell you what, I learned more about shooting accurately in this one session with Ron than all of my previous shooting experiences combined. Thank you, Ron and Betsy, for sharing your time and knowledge with me, Chase. <laughs> well, that is nice. We appreciate that, Chase. We had a great time with you. I really enjoyed Chase. Uh, he uh, was a novice and didn't have any kind of preconceived notions about how he was a superior male who knew everything. He was more than willing to admit that he didn't know things, but he was eager to learn and he had an open mind and took instructions very well. We just had a great time together. We did this... Uh, after we did all that 308 testing on the various rifles, we did one special show with teaching Chase to shoot and it seemed to work out pretty well. A lot of folks liked it, said they learned a lot from it, both about shooting technique plus some ballistics that were fairly clearly understandable according to some of the responses that I've seen. So appreciate that, Chase, and I look forward to doing some more. Chase and I are already starting to talk about maybe doing a 30 out six week with a bunch of rifles and maybe something on scopes. We've asked um, our viewers to weigh in on those things and we've gotten a lot of nice responses. So we're compiling those lists. We're gonna pick the most popular one first and roll with it. So stay tuned for that. Now this is uh, Kurt from Iowa. Hi Ron, I have a rifle I think was ahead of its time. A Winchester Featherweight in 25 WSSM. Too bad it couldn't last, but it has a problem. It will stack two bullets and then send the third shot several inches high and right. And the followers go God knows where. I don't care about shots number four and five, but I think a sporting rifle should put three shots in a group of some sort of acceptable. It is completely free-floated. If I recall, Melvin Forbes full-length bedded his barrels. Is that something to try with a pencil weight barrel like mine? Any other ideas? Also, if I recall, you had a brief affair with the 243 WSM Browning. It's too bad we didn't still have these those actions with the craze for short cartridges. It would have made some handy bolt guns. Anyway, please help. I love this little 25. Yeah. I have not worked with the 25 WSM, but I did work with the 243 version and the 223 version, which is, well, that's the faster than actually the Swift. The 220 Swift has always been known as the fastest, but the uh, 223 Winchester Super Short Magnum was a bit faster. Um, and those were all really short, stumpy, fat cartridges that were all the rage there for a few years, and then they sort of faded out. Um, I thought they performed quite well. I didn't care all that much for the 243 version because I didn't have it going but maybe 50 feet per second faster than the standard 243. And I thought, well, why settle for one less round in your magazine because it's so much fatter? And then there were a few folks having issues with cycling because such a short little round pops up. And I think it had a 30 degree shoulder or maybe it was a 35 degree shoulder. So there was some potential for some drag going into the chamber if things weren't just right. And I think those all contributed to them going away. But by golly, I, you know, I know guys with that 25 WSSM who absolutely love it. It will do what the 25-06 Remington does in a lot shorter rifle. So you've got something fun there. I can understand why you'd like it to shoot a little bit better for you. Here's what I think is happening. Uh, with your two first shots, your barrel is heating. And when it gets the second shot through it, it's now reached a temperature at which you're starting to see some shifting 
within the molecular structure of the steel or something. Hotter barrel, it starts to bend or twist or expand a little too much and you start to lose the consistency and the accuracy. That's why folks making really lightweight barrels and rifles like the Mel Forbes Ultralight Arms Rifle will full length bed the stock to the barrel. That way the stock is acting to stiffen the barrel. It's like having a heavier barrel. Now that said, I do have some really pencil thin barrels like you're talking about here and some fairly long ones too that would group half MOA with certain loads for three shots. I don't know that I ever tried them for five, but for three shots, they were great. But that doesn't mean they're all going to do that. So you are absolutely on the right track. I would try full length betting that. The other thing you can try is a pressure point at the front just oh half inch or less in from the tip of the stock at the fore end, you can put a pressure point. And what we usually do is lay some business cards in there, fold up business card in half and squeeze it in there. If you're getting some pressure against the barrel, try a sh shooting that way and then add another card and another card until you get significant pressure and find out exactly what thickness and what pressure gets you the accuracy that you're looking for. Sometimes that is enough. But another point with the featherweight Winchester, and I love that featherweight stock, by the way. I think it's just beautifully shaped and it just looks absolutely perfect. But it's pretty thin and it's made out of walnut, so it could start shifting too. And then you're going to get it rubbing one side or the other and changing the vibration of the barrel. So you want to be watching for that. And there, I think you probably are going to be better off with the full length bedding. What is bedding? Epoxy, essentially. I always use Acroglass system from Brownells. Comes with complete instructions. You send out the channel if you need to, but you lay this material in. You have to put a release agent on all the metal parts so they don't stick. But then essentially you're epoxying the barrel action in to the stock. And then once the epoxy sets up, the release agent allows you to pull it apart. And then you clean things up. You put it back together, tighten the stock down and you've got a full-length bedded situation, and that epoxy helps prevent the undue shifting from moisture changes in that walnut stock as well. So it's a pretty nice little system. So you've got some options there, but I definitely would try that, and I'm just, I just have a hunch that's probably going to work for you, because what you are seeing there with the higher shot is kind of classic with a light barrel that overheats. You get your first two shots fairly consistently and tight, and then your heated barrel shot on the third one throws it higher, and the fourth and fifth even worse. That barrel has just gotten too hot and expanded too much. Great question, Kurt. I really appreciate that. Hey, write back and let me know how it works out for you and what you did, because I can learn more from that. So on the way down the road, I can say, you know, I remember Kurt, this is what he did. And Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. 
Otters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Worked. All right, Joshua from Texas. Hey, Ron, I'm 13 years old and already have a single shot 12 gauge, but I am wanting to get a designated hunting rifle. I'm pretty sure Remington came out with the 360 buck hammer in a lever action. But I am wondering, is anybody making a 350 Legend lever action? Also, what would be some good bullets in this cartridge? Since I'm in Texas, I would be hunting whitetail deer and feral hogs. Thanks for all the great information. Josh, uh, P.S. No more Coriolis effect videos, please. <laughs> hey, Josh, I can't blame you for that one. That Coriolis goes across most of us. Uh, it's actually out there, but it really doesn't apply to hunting. Okay, yeah, now the 360 buck hammer is a new Remington cartridge. It's a straight walled cartridge. It is rimmed like the 3030 and it works beautifully in lever action rifles. Remington does not make a lever action rifle, but uh, the Marlin, I think, is being made in it. And that's being made by the new owners of Marlin, which is Ruger. Ruger owns Marlin. They upgraded all the manufacturing equipment and tweaked the rifles a little bit, and they claim that those rifles now are better than ever. So you might want to try that out. Another one is Henry. Uh, they've got the, and I shot one a few weeks ago. I haven't worked with it extensively, but I just shot it to show what its power level was compared to the 3030. It wasn't much difference between the two, really. But it's a little bit bigger bullet because it's a 35 caliber. So yeah, that would be a good option for you. You want to maybe try that. So look for the Henry shooting the 360 buck hammer and the Marlin. There are probably some break action single shots that are going to be chambered for it, but not the 350 Legend. That is a rimless case and they generally don't put those into lever actions. What Winchester was thinking of with the 350 Legend was it would work in your bold actions, which are probably the most popular for deer hunters and ARs, AR-15s, because that's probably the second most popular these days. Um, but they decided not to go with the, the lever actions, figuring I would guess that they already had the 3030 out there. Plus, you can get Winchester lever action rifles in the 44 mag and the classic straight-walled pistol cartridges like that. So, yep, that's pretty good thinking, Josh. Good luck with what you get. I think you're going to do well there. Texas has a lot of good brush country, and you can generally get pretty close to your deer so that 360 buck hammer should be good out to about 200 yards if you can see to shoot that well that far uh, but easily 150 yarder just like the 3030 all right oh we're going back to south dakota not only that but parker south dakota that is not far from the farm my grandfather landed on when he came over from russia way back more than 120 years ago roughly so i know parker area fairly well Hi, Ron. Thanks for reading my question. I am in the market for a semi-auto gas-operated 12-gauge for an all-purpose shotgun, and I wonder what your advice would be. I've looked at Winchester's, CZ's, and Beretta's. I am not familiar with the 12-gauge auto from CZ. I've never worked with that one. I have with the Winchester's a lot and the Beretta's a lot, but also um, the Browning's. I like that A5. It, it looks like the old Auto 5 humpback. It's got that hump back to it. That thing just, I don't know, it seems to fit me so well that it's shooting where I'm looking every time. I always shoot better with that than I do the Winchesters or the Berettas. Uh, and that's an individual thing. You might find something different. But you're probably interested in what is reliable. 
uh, and especially in autoloaders, what's going to keep on shooting? I've had some good luck um, with that Savage uh, Renegade that got real popular a couple of years ago. And it's don't, don't read as much about it now, but it's a fairly heavy uh, um, shotgun. I think it's good for absorbing recoil of your bigger loads for waterfowl shooting, especially. I don't think it's quite as effective on upland birds, although I have tried it that way. A little bit slow, a little slow moving. Um, but that's one you can check out. And I've had really great luck with the Mossberg 930 autoloader. Oh, they got a waterfall version out that is just, it, it shoots for me about as well as that Browning A5. And that one is built to mil military specs and it's just got a great reputation for reliability. I've used it on some fairly high volume wa waterfall shoots up in Canada when like the limit was 10 geese. 10 Canada geese and I think eight ducks or something. And we were getting our limits every day and just having a blast. It shot really well. So those are some, I'm sure there are plenty more out there. I don't want to miss anybody. I'm thinking there's of course the, uh, oh gosh, what is the other one I'm thinking of? The famous Benelli, the Benelli shotgun. I've used a lot of those and those have a great reputation as well. In fact, that was a, that was a standard in Pierce, South Dakota when I was living around there years ago and they've been upgrading it ever since. So yeah, there are a lot of auto loading 12 gauges out there, but some of the ones that I've worked with are right there. And I think you might want to check those out. All right. Oh boy, we've got a youper here. Jack the youper. I think we had him once before up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> the youpers up there. Uh, I've done some hunting up there. It's quite a few years ago, but gosh, that's beautiful country in the fall. Oh, late September and early October out in the grouse and woodcock woods. Woo! Beautiful country. Hey, Ron, I love your straightforward approach to teaching. Quick question on Sammy pressures for cartridges. It doesn't make sense to me. For instance, 270 Winchester is about 65,000 PSI. It is. A lot more than the 30-06. Okay, that makes sense. They wanted it to fly fast and flat. Then the 7 Rem Mag comes along and it's only 61,000 PSI. And it's much newer than the 270 Winchester. And it flies faster and packs more punch than a 270 Winchester. I know, I know. More powder in the 7 Rem Mag, right? But why a lower pressure? So if you know your card playing euphemisms, when does pressure trump powder and when does powder trump pressure <laughs> or does max pressure matter much at all? Should we even care about max pressure? I assume all of the loading manuals have the safety factor figured in. Uh, so who cares about max pressure? I am confused, I guess. Is max pressure just a byproduct of where the evolution of a particular cartridge accidentally landed? Wow, those are some really good questions, Jack. And I can't say that I don't have similar questions because I've always scratched my head over that. So take your 30 out six case. It's got a, a pressure of 61,000 PSI or so, or 60,000, maybe 62, I forget. But it's because the military made it back in 1906 and the steels and stuff they had back then, they were probably thinking, eh, it's about as far as we want to go with these pressures. The pressure is measured in the chamber. That's what's containing the peak pressure. You might get a little ways down the barrel, but then it starts to even out. So you don't want a pressure spike right there in the chamber that could go kaplooey. All right, fine. Well, they come along with the uh, 270 in 19, what, uh, 25? 
So they've had a few years. Maybe some steels have gotten better. They've gone through World War I shooting the Springfield 03 rifle with 30-06. Learned a lot. You know, you can crank the pressures up a little bit. That'll make it go, like you said, faster and shoot flatter. So they push it up to 65,000 PSI. But then they make the 280 Remington and they drop it down to 58,000 PSI. Why? It's the same case. I mean, a lot of guys, I included, will take a 30-06 case when you're hand loading and neck it down to make it 270 and crank it up to the pressures and everything seems to work just fine in the modern rifles that are set up for it, et cetera, et cetera. So I think what is going on is this, this combination of older cartridges, older steels kept the pressures down. Auto loaders kept the pressures down so you get proper functioning in your auto loading timing. Um, lever actions may be a little bit weaker, especially the early ones. Oh, I mean, gosh, the toggle system from the 1873 model, the uh, 1866 model, those couldn't hold a lot of pressure back because it was just toggling over when you closed that lever. Later, John Moses Browning came along and he put some big stiff bars inside of that bolt body to hold it in position. Then you could put your pressures up, but they never have gotten as high as you get with your bolt actions, except for the 1895 Winchester lever action, which was capable of shooting the 30-06. So I don't know that there's a hard and fast answer on any of this stuff. I need to look into that because I've often wondered about it. Now, the little 22250 Remington will take 65,000 PSI as a SAMI spec. That was made from the 250 3000 Savage, which has a lot lower pressure again. Uh, so it just goes round and around and around. But I do think it matters. It absolutely matters if you're a hand loader because you don't want to exceed those pressure standards. They're put in there for safety reasons. You don't want to blow something up. So always adhere to the levels in the hand-loading manuals. They're there to protect you and your rifle. <laughs> Good question, though. And I will get back to you, folks, when I do some deep research on that and talk to a bunch of folks exactly what's going on there. But do know this. The latest is an 80,000 PSI, and that's the new military cartridge. They wanted velocity increase without a larger cartridge with more powder and stuff. So they're working with a 308 Winchester size case. They put a steel head on it, kept the brass body to seal things when it expands, like the steel head probably doesn't, but the steel head was probably needed for the back pressure to hold everything in. And that is the, the new choice for the military and it'll probably coming out for civilian use. That is the rumor at least, so. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping 
MidwayUSA.com. Be watching for that. David, uh, he's out in the Adirondacks. I own a lot of rifles and 220 gauge fine shotguns. I recently bought two Steyr Zephyr 2s in 22 long rifle. They have the best trigger I have ever seen on a rifle. Probably the best you've ever felt too, right? <laughs> um, and they are accurate with capital letters through the whole word accurate. Fantastic wood quality. Laser checkering is amazing, unbelievable quality, almost unknown. See Frank Wynn's article on it in the American Rifleman. Well, I will have to do that. Um, I remember seeing a Zephyr when they first came out at a SHOT Show a few years ago, and I was supposed to get one to review, but it never showed up. I might need to get back on that. I completely, Like you said, I forgot about it, unknown, but I knew it was out there. I just lost track of it. I will look into that. Steyr Zephyr, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, and then two, two eyes, the Zephyr 2. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Thanks for uh, tipping us off on that one, David. I'll look into that. Here in, oh, Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada. Been up there before, getting up into moose country. Stefan, I see a YouTuber called Tall Prepping talk about maximum point range and how it does not work because the MOA of the shot can make you miss. Not sure if you are able to watch this video and see if his explanation is off or not as I like using MPBR, maximum point blank range. Well, I've not watched his video, obviously, Stefan, but I'm guessing he is off because I too like maximum point blank range and it works because I've taken most of my game that way. I've got more than 50 years in and I have taken game out to 450 yards. Usually I'm inside of a 300 yards, but every once in a while I'll stretch out to four and maybe 450 and I think, once I did a 500 and some yard shot, and one time I did a ridiculous 777 yard shot while trying to learn about this long range shooting and, and working with the latest and greatest 6.8 Western and long range stuff and all. And conditions were absolutely perfect for that. I am not advocating everyone try that, but I thought before I'm condemning everyone, maybe I should have been there, done that. So I did it one time, as I said, perfect conditions all the way around, double measurement from two different instruments on the yardage to the target. The scope had been tested for dialing precisely and et cetera, et cetera. The rifle was sub MOA accurate and all the rest of it. And the shot went right where it was supposed to go. But who it's just way too easy to screw that stuff up. But I did want to get it out there. So nobody was going to say, ah, oh, you lied to us. I'm not trying to hide anything here. Okay. So, um, MPBR works. And I don't know if I need to explain it again, but there are always new folks coming in, so maybe I will. Bear with me, those of you who already know this. What you do with maximum point blank range is you set up your rifle to shoot high at mid-range trajectory, but not higher than your target. So if your target is, say, an 8-inch diameter vital zone on a deer, and really they're more like 10 inches and even 12, but let's fudge things down a little bit in case you pull a shot, flinch, or the wind gets you and different things. So we're going to try to keep all of our shots inside of an 80-inch circle. And if you really want to be safe, go with a 6-inch circle. Let's do 6 inches. That gives us a lot of safety. So we've got a 6-inch circle. We zero the rifle so that it never goes more than 3 inches above where our crosshair or front sight is holding, our aiming point. 
Your bullet then at 100 yards is getting up there about two and a half inches or so. And at 150 yards, it's probably at three inches, 170, 180, somewhere in there. It's starting now to start dropping down back through your line of sight. And that will happen depending on your bullet's BC and your velocity at around 240 yards to 280 yards. In some cases, you can even get as far as 300 yards, really fast, sleek bullets and all. But then it starts dropping below your point of aim. And when it drops three inches below your point of aim and you're aiming at the middle of the six inch circle, obviously now you're out of that target. So you've missed the animal by shooting too low. Bingo. There's your maximum point blank range. It works. What does it do for you? It allows you to take a shot at an animal you judge reasonably well is inside of your maximum point blank range distance. And for me, it's usually 300 yards. I obviously use a rangefinder to try to find out for sure. But if I see one and I got a pretty good idea what a size of a deer looks like at 200 yards versus 400 yards, and I can say to myself, that deer is easily inside of 300 yards. Or I can say, he might be 250 or 280, but I don't think he's more than 300. I know I can use that center aiming and get my deer. And I don't have to take time to dial or pick a different reticle and get them mixed up and all the problems that you can have with those systems. So it's quick. If I've got the time, I will take all sorts of time to make sure everything's perfect. But boy, it sure works for quick stuff. And for most of your game, you're going to have a fairly quick shot. Say a deer is walking through a gap in the timber at 150 yards. You know he's within range. You don't have to do any dialing and measuring. Maybe he's at 250 yards on a hillside and he goes from one clump of brush to the next across a 10-yard span. It doesn't take him too long to walk across that. I would yell at that deer, and I mean yell at him, hey, buck, as loud as I can, because what they do if they haven't seen you, smelled you, have no suspicions that you're around, they almost always stop and go, what was that? And give you a broadside look. Bingo, that's when you take your shot. So maximum point blank range definitely works. And you can always add to it. If you like the idea of turret dialing or using multiple reticles, just start with your maximum point blank range. And when you're at your maximum, 300 yards or so, and you know it's dropping so much, figure out where your drop is at 350 yards and dial for that or set the reticle for that. Out to 400 yards, nice system. All right, going back up to Maine. Way up in the corner, Ben. Ron, I have a couple of questions for you. I apologize if you already covered them. I couldn't find them in your blogs or on your YouTube channel. Well, maybe they're new. I just purchased a used a 1978 Remington Model 700 in 300 Win Mag. The gun looks brand new, and it is in incredible shape for its age. It doesn't appear to even been used much. Nice find there, buddy. As far as the trigger goes, I have heard the stories and court cases revolving around this unintentional fire problem. Frankly, I'm not sure what to do here. I know countless fellow hunters that have hunted for years with their same Model 700. They bought at Kmart in 1975, and they have never once had an issue and never replaced the triggers. However, I can't get the thought of it out of my mind that I'm holding a ticking time bomb that's going to fail at any given moment. Is this truly something I need to worry about, or does this happen to only a select few rifles? Of course, I always practice basic gun safety, and I keep the muzzle in the safest direction possible, but I'm still concerned. Is there a way to dummy-proof this trigger other than replacement? 
my next question, well, let's take this question first and then we'll get to the next one. You know, I don't think there's an absolute answer. These court cases have never determined that this absolutely happens with all of the triggers or most of the triggers, or I don't think they've ever been able to prove it happened with any trigger, including the trigger of the gun in question from the guy who brought the lawsuit. And it it strikes me as odd as well. So I don't know if there's an absolute answer, but I can understand your concern. Now, I have a number of Remington Model 700s, and they've never given me any problems. But I also have a number of them that I have outfitted with Timney triggers. Aftermarket trigger, it's real easy to fix that thing up. You just buy it, follow the instructions, and you got a new trigger, and problem is solved. But yes, you do have to spend some money on a new trigger. Other than that, I I don't think I can give you any more advice than you've already figured out for yourself. You're just going to always have that nagging doubt if you're using it. Or if you can ignore it, you might just be fine. But you're definitely right to always practice good muzzle control. But who wants a gun going off inadvertently when you close the bolt? Or I don't know how this stuff happens, but I think it's generally what it is. Close the bolt and it goes off. I mean, I actually had that happen with a completely different make of rifle one time. Turned out the uh, gunsmith who had been working on it, he coated it for me with some Teflon coating so it wouldn't rust and stuff. Cool. When that first first was coming out, some of the overspray got on the sear and made it slippery. Whoa. So fix that up and it's been fine ever since. So crazy things can happen out there. Now let's get to Ben's second question. My next question is related to scopes. Since my rifle is a 1978 model and I live in central Maine, which is not known for its wealth, the current scope on the rifle is an original 1970s Tasco 3-9. It has to go, especially being on a Magnum rifle with little or no eye relief. Yeah, you don't want a big kicking rifle with no eye relief. While replacing it with a better optic, I would like to go with the see-through scope mounts that were popular back in the day. I haven't really seen them used for some time, but they were always a good option for the thick backwoods we have in this state. Since this is a BDL model, I would like to maintain the factory iron sights, since I think it adds to the overall function and beauty of the rifle. Other than the scope being higher, which fits my big head just fine, (laughs) that's good, and there are other major concerns, are there other major concerns for these uh, see-through style scope mounts? I have heard that a lot of folks dislike them, but I can't seem to understand why other than that height difference. I appreciate your input on these topics. I love what you have to say. P.S. Thanks for all you do. I find myself watching your YouTube channels for hours, discovering more calibers and rifles to add to my shopping cart. The hunting community sure does appreciate them. Ben. Oh, thank you, Ben. Thanks for watching my videos. It's nice to have company. (laughs) Now, um, I think you're on it with this uh, see-through mount too. People like to poo-poo them and say they're worthless, and it's mostly because of that head-up thing. And, you know, your rifle is set up so that your comb on your face allows you to see right down those open sights. You add a scope and you probably have to go a little bit higher. You add the see-through mount under that scope and now you really have to go higher. But it's like someone else wrote in not too long ago on a show we did. He has perfect results using it on his lever action rifle. And he loves the fact that he can go to his open sights if he needs them. I personally have never had enough issues with scopes that I think I need that open sight. I always see the crosshair in the scope and the animal, even at a low power like 2X, much more clearly than I do with open sights. I can pick up an animal in the scope, even if it's running very smoothly and quickly, and I just can't do it as well with iron sights. Big part of that might be my older eyes. I'll give you that. 
But do consider that a good scope these days, they're so rugged, especially if you go with a fixed power. There's nothing to move around in there other than zeroing it, moving that erector tube. And lock that all down, and that thing should withstand recoil forever, uh, especially a smaller scope. You know, if the scope doesn't have a great big 50 millimeter or bigger objective on it, that's not a heavy piece of glass, that littler 40 millimeter or even a 36 millimeter. I love the two to eight, two and a half to eight by 36 loophole VX3, they used to call them. I, they got it very, very X3 HD now or something, but that's a short, light little scope, handy and rugged, durable. I've never had one go bad on me or get off. And I would just prefer to stick with that, not even fool with the iron sights. But I can understand why you might like them and, and they work well for you. So sure, why not? I would just try to find that, that bigger see-through mount for your scope and roll with it. Really, there's no problem uh, beyond that that I can see. If anyone else has a reason not to use this other than that makes your head go too far off the, the comb of the stock, let us know on that one because it's not something that I work with. I've handled a few rifles that had them and I went, ew, this is kind of yucky. But boy, guys who love them, love them. So they must work. And that appears to be our last one, guys. So what did we do? We've gone about 33, 34 minutes today. Not bad. I want to thank you all for joining me. And thanks for sending in those questions and ideas. There were some really good ones this time. I appreciate it all. Uh, we had Kurt and Joshua, Parker. Oh, you know what? Parker from South Dakota. I assume that that was Parker, South Dakota. That's his name. Parker from South Dakota. I apologize, Parker. I thought you were over there in that Sioux Falls, Marion, Freeman, Parker country. <laughs> and Jack DeUper, I love your humor. Uh, Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Good questions. David, Stefan, and Ben. And the Outdoor Empire, Chase. I'm looking forward to working with you again. And all of our patrons, we definitely need to thank you for supporting us. We really appreciate it. As I always say, you guys help keep the lights on. And if there's anything we can do for you, you know we're always here at your disposal. I love to answer your questions. First thing I do every morning is get on Patreon and answer all those questions. And then if I've got time, I'll get to some of the others. And my wife and the team always pulls a bunch of these up for me to read on this broadcast. So stay tuned for more next time on Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Until then, on Honest and Shoot Straight. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave.
Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.